you know, nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. I think in creating this body of work, part of the loneliness is the price. Welcome to The Resistance, a podcast that features honest discussion with meaningful artists about the opposing forces we all face when moving toward our better selves. I'm your host, Matt Connor. I'd wager a guess that the vast majority of us have an unhealthy relationship with resistance. If you're like me, you allow procrastination a place at your table, you let fear in the door quite a ways. And you use excuses of varying degrees to explain why you haven't made progress. For me, the resistance is no stranger to winning. But there are some people for whom the resistance is nothing more than a formidable foe, a suitable challenger against which we're all able to suit up. For these folks, resistance is just something that makes the victory sweeter in the end, the tension that makes the story worth telling. Fantastic Negrito is one such person, a dynamic one-man musical wrecking crew whose last two albums have won the Grammy Award for Best New Contemporary Blues Album. He's an innovative genius with a dynamic musical fusion that mixes gospel and funk, rock and soul, blues and hip-hop. And if that sounds spirited, the music's got nothing on the man himself. Fantastic Negrito is able to speak with such clarity and create with such focus because, as he puts it, he's already lived three lives. Each life was marked by tremendous amounts of resistance, from being in a coma to losing the use of his hand. Yet each stage required him to learn to get back up again from the bottom. A man will either eventually cave under such pressure or come alive to the fact that he's capable of anything. For Fantastic Negrito, resistance means pressure, and pressure produces diamonds. And in the mouth of any other man, this would sound like a trite cliche, but he's lived the life and earned the credibility to say whatever he wants. Rather than fill you in on all the incredible details... We'll just let this inimitable artist tell you himself. You're in for an unforgettable conversation with one of music's most charismatic persons. Here's our chat with Fantastic Negrito. Hello and welcome to The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor and I'm your host. Um, Today I'm thrilled to have with me Fantastic Negrito in the studio. Uh, How are you doing today? I like my chances. It's good to be here. (laughs) There's only... One fantastic Negrito in the world, as you all know. And right now, I'm here with Matt Connor. <laughs> Appreciate you taking some time out. Uh, welcome to The Resistance. It's a podcast based on a book by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art, uh, in which we all face the distance between who we are and who we say we want to be. Let me read to you just a couple quick sentences, and then I would love for you to tell me sort of how that resonates with you or how you wrestle with that just right now to get us going. Okay. He says, most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. I'd love to know how you're wrestling with that right now. Like, What does resistance look like in the life of Fantastic Negrito at the end of 2018? Well, in Fantastic Negrito, I've lived three lives. And there was resistance in between all of them from my, being the kid from Oakland, California, you know, growing up in the crack era when it was decimating the community that I lived in and taking people's lives 
uh, that it was a great amount of resistance growing up in that particular situation. And, um, but that resistance produced genius music and art form. And it produced Too Short and it produced E-40 and it produced uh, Tony, 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 MC Hammer and in Vogue. Even you could say Green Day and Metallica. I mean, it all came from that, that, that era. Um, and so I, I use that resistance always for growth because that's, for me, resistance equals growth. I, I say take that bullshit and turn it into good shit. And um, that's all about growth and resistance. Hmm. You mentioned three lives. What was, like, what was the second? Oh, the second. You say, now that we're in it, let's do it. <laughs> it's like I'm telling you about this amazing food, and then uh, I'd say, hey, you want to take the garbage out? <laughs> all right. So, all right. Sorry about that. I am an no artist. I'm not a very good uh, guest. So... Uh, the first, my first life was surviving that because that turned me into a monster. That turned me into a guy that wanted everything. He wanted the world. I saw how the local uh, hustlers and drug dealers were driving uh, the best looking cars and slant nose Porsches and I, and having the prettiest women and having the money. So I wanted that. So I turned my energy to Los Angeles, a place where you can get all that stuff. <laughs> So I went out there to uh, make my demo tape and become some big pop star as I wanted. And with the willpower and being a product of resistance and the dope era is I turned that into a $1 million record uh, deal advance from Interscope Records. And I was signed directly by a guy named Jimmy Iovine, mm -hmm. who some of you all know now. And my first managers were Prince's managers. So, I went from the streets of Oakland with all that hustling and resistance, and it taught me the resilience, which is what resistance does to you. It teaches you how to um, overcome the many obstacles that are coming your way, whether it's death, gunfire, drugs, murder, robbery. These are the things that I faced as a, as a young teenager growing up in the Bay Area. And so I was just, when I got to LA, I know I, I was like, well, I can hustle, man. I'm from Oakland. And I was able to land that record deal. And so that was like the first phase, the, the young artist who wanted everything, the best women, the best cars, the best clothes, the best drugs, the best food, the best, the best, the best, numero uno. But that, that first phase of life ended, well, one day, at the, as I say, the peak of my delusion, the peak of my excessive narcissism, I was driving down the street and coming from a party in the Hollywood Hills, And I was struck by a vehicle and I ended up in a coma for three weeks. And it took away the ability for me to use my right hand to play instruments. So there goes some more resistance right there. So that was the end of phase one, the beginning of phase two, which was resistance. Hey, I can't wipe my own ass. And it's, I'm not joking. I can't feed myself. I can't get up to go pee. So I needed a lot of help. And there, were, there was a lot of obstacles that were trying to stop me from living that dream that we all have deep buried inside of us, as you spoke of, the two lives for a lot of people. But I was very much determined 
to uh, keep being an artist. So then I went from being on this major label and having a million dollar advance <laughs> deep into the uh, Los Angeles underground where I've rubbed, you know, shoulders with rock and Espanol, with uh, Afropunk when it was in its really infant stages. And um, just creating different incarnations musically like Blood Sugar, Blood Sugar X, me and this Japanese guy, Chocolate Butterfly, became all these different artists out of survival, out of fighting against this, this pressure and this um, enemy of doubt, not having the ability to use my right hand. So that struggle, that resistance uh, gave birth to a very productive eight years of my life, which was the second, second phase, which was in the underground, Afro-punk, rock and Espanol, in South Central, running an underground illegal nightclub that opened from noon to 6 a.m., best music in L.A. Uh, and that was incredible. But that came out of the defeat on the horizon. That came out of the resistance. That came out of the struggle of trying to make something happen. When you have what I call the claw, I call my right hand the claw. I, can't, I have probably 30% usage of it. But mm. in the spirit of taking that bullshit, turning it into good shit, standing up to resistance and using the resistance, which is the bullshit, to create something amazing. That was the second phase. And that was a struggle, too, because I just came out of being pampered and babied and getting nice fruit baskets. And, you know, I don't get the fruit baskets anymore, man. I didn't get the, where the <laughs> holiday crackers and cheese. I was from Oakland, man. I didn't know what this was. This is incredible. Man, a guy's going to let me sleep with his wife. Like, man, what? Like, where, where is it? Well, that was in phase one. Phase two was scrapping in the underground, keeping it real, fighting to get your music on a, a license, getting, being on MySpace, you know, setting up tours on MySpace. But that was a, um, really incredible and a time of struggle. And so that ended one day when I thought, you know what? I'm tired of this waking up every day and it's my birthday, living in a 3,000 square foot loft and having a uh, after hours illegal nightclub. I want to do something different. Why don't I move back to my hometown and become a marijuana cultivator? And so I thought that's okay. That's going to be my life. I'm going to get a shop. I'm going to uh, blow out a bunch of commercial buildings, grow a lot of the best OG Kush, Bubba Kush, Girl Scout cookies, Northern California supply some of the dispensaries on San Pablo and, um, you know, get a farm going, grow some veggies, have some chickens, have some kids and, you know, walk off into the sunset, enjoy my life. And it was very lucrative. And I did that for five years. No music, a life of being a farmer, a cannabis cultivator. So all that changed one day because a great thing happened. I had this little boy. I was so happy I had a, a child. This was what I wanted to do. I wanted to do, I was so ambitious. I thought, man, I'll be a polygamist. I'll have this compound, man. It'll be, I failed at being a polygamist miserably. I was like, I didn't even get out of the block. But I had this dream of this artist life. It was incredible. You should have you seen it in my head. If I could have shown it to you, in my head it made so much sense. But in reality, I failed at being a polygamist. So I was successful at being a marijuana cultivator, and I was successful at having a child. 
um, I had this baby boy. And one day I couldn't put him to sleep. It was a beautiful sunny day in Northern California. I was all alone with him. And when he was um, feeling kind of down or cranky, I could make some daddy faces and they were always funny and he'd laugh. But this particular day, it wasn't working. And I had sold all my equipment. I didn't have any equipment, HD Pro Tools, two-inch tape machine, guitars, <laughs> keyboards. I was like, I have nothing to do with music. I've got nothing to say. And if I've got nothing to say, then I'm not going to fake it. So it was one guitar that was so cheap, such a piece of junk, nobody would give me any money for it. So it lay underneath his little couch for years. So I, something came over the room. There was a feeling in the room, and I looked at that guitar, and I didn't know what was going to happen. It was going to change the course of my life and get me into stage three. I picked it up, and I played the out-of-tune G major. Brum, and the room changed. The kid's face went from this disappointing scowl and frown to the biggest smile that I'd ever seen in my life. It was the most committed smile. This expression was committed to joy, 100% of joy. And so it freaked me out. I was like, whoa, what just happened there? I mean, I got the chills down my spine. I looked around. It was just he and I. There was, was just smile. There was this appreciation for music, for the strings resonating with this wood and the sound coming out and this intent with this claw of a hand that I had. And I thought, man, this must be the language of humanity. I thought before human beings could even muster up a word to each other in communication, there was sound. There was rocks banging. There were grunts and chants by the ancient fires of yesteryear. And I thought, I just learned something, that this is a great way to communicate with people. Now, I didn't immediately jump back in. It took a couple of years, but it started phase three of a slow walk towards what would be Fantastic Negrito and cheap, bad-sounding guitars that I would be playing on the street <laughs> because I wasn't really a guitar player. I played more keyboards. I could play a little bit, but it began what we call busking. I thought, you know what? I want to take the language here and go communicate with people right on the streets because this is my salvation because I need people. And what was beautiful about this was that there was no middleman this time. There was no club to say, well, yay or nay. I don't know if you can play here for free or not. I don't know if you can play here for free or not. I don't know if you can come and struggle and play here for free as they do to struggling musicians. Come play for free. And um, what, that wasn't there because I was going right to the people. I was going right to the source. What wasn't there was the record label to say, well, I think, you know, you should, you know, you should look like this. You should sound like this. You should play 12 bar blues. You know, it should sound like this. It should package it like this. Blah, 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 boring. No, I was dealing with a loaded six-string weapon. I was dealing with the people getting off work on the train. <laughs> and if I thought I had a good song, well, hell, go play it to people who don't want to hear. If you think you got good songs, go play it to people who don't want to hear it. And then you may see that you're making a connection. So I love the no middleman. And this artist was older. 
he was mature. He didn't want anything like the, the first phase artist. He wanted everything, the best drug, the best women, the best cars, the best house, the best clothes, the best food, the best, the best, and send me a holiday basket. And if anybody wants to send me a holiday basket now, I'll take it because I haven't seen one <laughs> since I had a million dollar advance. So look up Fantastic Negrito and send me a holiday basket. And one for Matt Connor too, because he seems like a nice guy. So the phase three began of life, which is now become, which has now become Fantastic Negrito. And that's how it worked out for me, these different phases. And along the course, the resistance that helped give birth to each incarnation. Sure. Let me, let me ask you this. So much of your story is about resistance in the rearview mirror. Like you can speak about defeating resistance at these different phases. So for me, my wondering is like for you today as this charismatic, like, you know, the, another Grammy nomination is in, you've got these, you've uh, like, I just, I love the, I love the music. You've got this new audience now. You're 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 set in this new person. You know what phase three is. So, what does resistance look like for you today? Like like, oh my do you experience it, and at what level? Oh my god, tremendously! And I'm glad that you. That's a very uh, intelligent, and not only is it an intelligent question, it's going to be very useful, Matt. It's going to be very useful to all the people that are out there struggling as artists. Listen, even the level that I'm at now, there's resistance. People are like, well, you're contemporary blues, whatever. It's not bluesy enough, your music. It's, it seems, it's, it's like it's too soulful. Well, um, it's soul music, but no, nah, not really. Like, it's not just the way we like it. Like, can we get some redundant, you know, already produced copycat 1960s soul music? Because that makes us feel safe. We like that because it's, you're remaking things and then you be, you're a safe Negro. And that makes us feel real chipper. Mm. You make us feel safe. You know, there's that. And then it's like, oh, it's rock. But is it really rock? I don't know. Like, it's, it's, too, it's too much soul in that rock. It's too bluesy. But it's a bluesy. You, know, you got that crazy. It's that insanity. That thing that makes us like, I'm a liberal. I'm a conservative. I'm a this. I'm that. I put me in this basket. I feel safe in this particular category and so that's my resistance and it never stops because in the spirit of like hey me i'm like hey the energy and spirit of punk rock the discipline of james brown baby you put that <laughs> together and you got fantastic negrito and i just want to do great music man i just want to have songs like the beatles i'm like you got to have songs i just want to do things that are amazing and that are compelling i just want to contribute something to this life that I live in. So when you want to do that, when you want to do some real shit and you want to be real, oh my God, the resistance is tremendous. There's more resistance now than there was when I was just starting on the street because then you're being successful. So people want you to be something that they can sell easily. They want it to be easy. They don't want you to be, try to pioneer and do different things. And thank God for the Grammys and thank God for Chris Cornell and thank God for, Sturgill Simpson, and thank God for all the people in NPR, Tiny Desk, who they see like, hey, artist, wants to be an artist, wants to contribute, wants to think outside of the box, wants to smash categories, 
because they're always trying to put us in categories. You're not uh, African-American enough. Uh, you're not um, hip hop enough. Uh, you're not white enough. Come on, let's, can we get some more whiteness here? Uh, you're not uh, Mexican enough. You're not Latino enough. You're not conservative enough. You're not religious enough. You're not gay enough. You're not transgender enough. That's why I wrote Transgender Biscuits. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we struggle with this in the society where you're, your mom or your dad or your uncle, you're not what I expected. Well, Matt, hey, I expected this. You didn't, I have some repressed fantasy, you know, uh, of how I see the, how the world should be. And you don't quite live up to that, buddy. And so people can become depressed by that. People can become sad and disenfranchised. And so what I love, the, the, the mission statement of Fantastic Negrito, and, hey, man, produce what I believe in and nothing else, no matter what, how great the resistance. And the resistance is great. It is massive. Because when you get into the building, which I call the building in quotation marks, when you're standing before the council, the imaginary council, you know, the people at the <laughs> gate, they want it straight. They could care less about art. I think a lot of people, they may be in the music business, but they're in, it's the business. I'm in the creative, artistic connection business. Mm. And there's a tremendous amount of resistance there. But thank God for you. Thank God for NPR. Time. Yes, and you got to give the Grammys some credit. Because I'm shocked every time I get nominated. I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, okay. But there's a chorus of people that don't think I'm blues enough, don't think I'm soul enough, don't think I'm rock enough, don't think I'm roots enough, don't think I'm black enough. Don't think, you know, they're, they're, hey, they're out there. But the thing is, the beauty of artistry, the people that I live, looked up to were always pioneers. And I, I judge my creation based on that and based on them. Um, you were mentioning you know, thank God for the NPRs. Thank God for like some of the people who get what, what it is that you do and, and sort of help you along, you know, that feels like there is a power of, of some community around you. Oh, hundred percent. Do you feel like you'd be able to be as confident in your art if there wasn't some sort of chorus that was telling you, Hey, this, this fragile intersection that you're occupying, that is where we want you to be. We see what you do. Like, like, do you think you'd have that level of belief in, in where you're at without it? And, and have you felt really the fragility of being there without that at times? Well, that's a multi-layered question. You got some good questions, man. You must have been doing this for a while. This is how I feel about that. The first phase artist, yes, he needed that. The second phase artist, second part of my life, needed a little less, but he kind of still craved it. This guy didn't give a fuck. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. You can say There's nothing you greater, and I encourage every artist out there, when you can reach the not give a fuck stage, you've arrived. You've got to not give a fuck in that studio. Now, you've got to build a team. The team is important. No team, no dream. No team, no dream. And the people on my record company, that is the people on my record company. Trust me. So I think there's some truth to it, and there's some not truth to it, because you can't do what I'm doing right now if you give a fuck. It's impossible. The minute I said I was fantastic, Negrito, there was a chorus of people that said, boo, literally, it happened. <laughs> they said, boo, literally. I was in a room with some marketing, kind of weird intern, nice people. They're like, it'll never work. Why? Why can't it be fantastic, Negrito, and give homage and give praise to 
Black Roots music, where I came from, where the whole world's pop cultures came from. Why can't I say Skip James and Robert Johnson and Lead Belly and Sun House and R.L. Burnside? That's what, fan- that's what Fantastic Negrito is to me. They're like, well, white people don't like saying the word Negrito. It makes them uncomfortable. And I thought, wow, the punk rocker in me said, well, shit. And that's the best reason to be Fantastic <laughs> Negrito. Because I think that's what we need for people to be a little uncomfortable sometimes. We're missing that. We're getting too comfortable. And um, we need some resistance, as, as, you, as you so and like to uh, eloquently put it. So it's beautiful. So I'm trying to answer that question in the sense of you can't give a fuck. If you do, you're in trouble. When I made The Last Days of Oakland, there was a chorus of people like, you can't do that. Because you're not, no, this doesn't, this is not genre specific. You can't do that. You can't, you can't. Like I never focus on what can't. I always focus on can when I made Please Don't Be Dead, I freaked out my own inner circle. I freaked, like, what kind of record are you making here? You just won a Grammy from Contemporary Blues. What is this plastic hamburger shit? What is this loud riff? <laughs> what is this loud riff? My God. Oh, my God. What is track. this? Oh, God, my God. You're going to ruin everything that you built, Negrito. See, now they call me Negrito. Oh, Negrito. <laughs> no, hey, there was, a, there was very few people uncomfortable with that word. Hey, we didn't give white people enough credit. Hey, can white people get some credit? Hello? Hey, can I knock out? Can we, eight? Hey, the bank, can we give the white people some credit sometimes? God damn. Are we so afraid of them? Mm. Are we so discounting them all the time? Are we all so freaked out by this word? You're a racist. Is it a witch hunt? Can we all get a little credit? And just being human beings, a little compassion. Can we talk real with each other? Because when we don't talk real with each other, we get what we have now. And I don't have to get into that because we know what we have now. <laughs> Take a look around. <laughs> so we got to talk real with each other. So I need people. I figured that out. Mm-hmm. It was just came into my head one day. I thought I didn't. I said, I need people. Yes. But I have to not give a fuck. And when I, in creating what I do. And then I got to close my eyes and open them. And whoever's left in that room, yeah, I need them. <laughs> whoever's not in that room, hey, I'm sorry. But I think that's the power in creation. And yeah, I get it all the time still because I'm in this bubble. I'm sure one day I'll, it'll burst and I will give a fuck and I'll be afraid again. But it's not happening now. And I like the bubble. It's very lonely. I'm alone a lot. And I sit in this room and I make these records by myself. And it's lonely, but the result is something I'm willing to live and die for. Something I really believe in. And that, that means everything in a lifetime of a human being. That we are, no matter what it is, whether it's a smile, a good attitude, a lemonade stand, uh, you know, a company that makes socks, music, an album, a relationship with someone, it's all worth it. Hmm. Let, let me ask you one more, because uh, I know... Um, you just actually brought up what I was wanting to ask about, which is, um, uh, look, I, gr- I grew up in church. The language, when I look at what you're doing, it's almost like the role of prophet. Like when I'm listening to the new album, it's, it's someone looking at the culture and speaking what is true about the culture, no matter what's going on. And you're talking about, look, I've like, I can't care in the studio. I just have to make what's true to me. You, you brought up being lonely. H- how do you, um. Uh, yeah. How, how do you fight? How do you fight that in a way? Like, if resistance makes you lonely in this way, and yet you know you have to stand on this ground, 
um, are, are you just grounded enough just to have to, to deal with it? And yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just feels like an interesting position to me. You know, I'm not, now I'm a recovering narcissist. You know, I was a narcissist in that first phase. And when we say church, I like to say, yeah, my shows, what I do is like church without the religion, you know? So you're, you're, we're, we're, we're plugged into the same thing. I think I have a lot of, I have support, you know, around me and I've built a team around me and, I think we all need that. No one can do this alone. Doing it alone is crazy. You're going to get lonely, of course, but in the end, I think that there I have support, and there's people that are, mm. and you have to that will put up with a lot of my a lot of my shit. And um, I think you have to be willing to make the sacrifices to find those people, and those are the people that are going to tell you your song sucks, and those are the people that are going to tell you that, hey man, I just don't believe you. You know, that's going to piss you off. And you got to have the naysayers, too. And they're just part of the team and they're part of the support system. I remember the tiny desk. It was a vote. And I voted against it because we're kind of a collective. And I was like, nah, let's not do tiny desk. I'm not really feeling that. I'm just loving the street busking thing. So, really, yeah, there's people that go against what I'm what I'm saying within my circle and my team. And, um, you know, nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. I think in creating this body of work, part of the loneliness is the price. But, you know, you just have to shake, shake it off and you got to go out there and talk to people and be real with people, too. And that'll help the loneliness. But it's going to come. It's hard. It's hard doing it, man. It's hard. man. But it's worth it. I think all that, that's damn, damn, damn. It's more resistance. That's what resistance is. It's hard. It's lonely. It's terrifying. It's all these things, but that is what makes the product great. Mm. It's like growing plants. I remember I learned so much growing uh, the marijuana because there was resistance. And, you know, once we fought it, coped with it, harnessed the resistance, made it work for us, incredible bud, one pound per light. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) You know, know, yeah, then you get your one pound per light with OG Kush, which was very hard back in the day. Because it's very, there's a lot of resistance. OG Kush doesn't want to do a pound per life. wants to do less. And so the, it, it, there's resistance. So how do you harness that resistance? Take that bullshit, turn it into good shit, as I like to say. That's how <laughs> you do it. it. Shit. That's all that there is, man. I don't, I'm not that deep, man. I'm, so, I'm like a simple farmer. you know. <laughs> I love it. Uh, hey, fantastic Negrito! Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, for um, for just being so open, and certainly most of all for making the kind of um, important, meaningful music that uh, we're needing in the in a culture like we're in today. Well, I want to thank you so much because I know that I can't do it without people like you who help support what I'm doing and shine the light on what I'm doing and help amplify what I'm doing. And I want to thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak on your podcast. You got it. Peace. You've been listening to The Resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Our theme is composed by Chad Howitt engineering, production, and additional music by Jay Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. <laughs>